I'm Kate Daniels. The thing most of us seem to have not been taught early in life is about handling money and finances. We can't correct all that this morning, but we're going to give it a good try in meeting two financial specialists. First up is Gary Stone. Gary's devoted 25 years to researching, analyzing, and successfully investing in stock markets, and the result is his book, Blueprint to Wealth. He's here now to share some highlights. Gary Stone, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us this morning. It's my pleasure, Kate. I really appreciate uh, your work, your passion, I would say, because you have really invested, if you will, your life into this whole field of finances, which uh, I think many of us feel really uh, stymied by and, and even heavily burdened. So I am really excited to be able to learn more from your new book, Blueprint to Wealth, Financial Freedom in 15 Minutes a Week. Is that really possible? It is absolutely impossible. In fact, it can it can even be done in less time than that. Okay, well, <laughs> let's start with the 15. That seems to be certainly manageable. Uh, if we can whittle that down eventually, or maybe have you found that people want to actually invest more of themselves and their time into doing this because they, they really get a good handle on it? Well, well, they do. And, uh, you know, it, it actually, for people who get, uh, who actually get into investing and want to and have the inclination to want to do better and and learn all about investing, it actually can, can consume you. I know when I started in this field some 25 years ago, I mean I used to spend hours a day doing this, learning the whole ambit of, of what's involved and what can be involved because it's such a wide field. And I guess all that research and experiences, I've now been able to just hone that down a maximum of 15 minutes a week. And in fact, it actually takes me far less than that now to manage my money. So how do we get started? Of course, there's first the desire, right? But then what do we do? Well, for me, the desire should be there in most people, I think, but it's amazing how apathetic or lazy or, or maybe just confused people are by, by the huge amount of information there is that they, they kind of just get caught like rabbit in the headlights and they, they just palm it off to somebody else and they, they think it will be taken care of in an employer-sponsored 401k or mutual funds or whatever it might be and all by an investment advisor, which is, which is a big option. Nearly two-thirds of Americans use investment advisors. And then they, they find out when they get to retirement that they don't have enough. And the stats are showing that some 80% of Americans will retire so with insufficient funds to last in their retirement years. So well, that's the motivation, if you like. So, so what do they do about it? Well, it requires some reading, some research. And what I've tried to do is distill it down into, first of all, explaining to people that the status quo, that of of investing in active mutual funds or mutual funds or target date funds or balanced funds or diversified funds, they all go under different names, is just not going to cut it. But there is an avenue, if you like, a strategy pathway that is, is very simple to execute, which is going to put the probabilities heavily in your favor of doing far better than your employer-sponsored 401ks or mutual funds or wherever your money might be by just investing in the stock market index. It, it solves the risk problem and it solves the performance problem. So one clarification that I feel compelled to make is in terms of investing some of our income into the 401 deferred interest plans. So we do this because we think it's a great tax savings, but are you saying, no, that is not the pathway to take? It certainly is to use the, the deferred tax, either through a, a traditional or a Roth 401k or, or IRA, 
that is definitely the way to go because you're getting the money that you otherwise would have paid and taxed to the government working for you for all those years. So that is the vehicle to which it should be done. But it's just how you invest and what you invest in is what kills people's retirement nest eggs. And it does that through two major avenues. One is the huge amount of fees they pay through their employer-sponsored 401ks. And that puts a major handbrake on their returns over the years. And the other one is that for long-term multi-decade investing, people's funds are diversified too much. There's too much caution being taken when there are not totally risky paths, but the paths that take a little bit more risk that are still, still not going to go to zero. They're still going to be around that will perform far, far better. And that's the concept of what you've heard people like Warren Buffett and, and another person who started Vanguard, uh, John Bogle, talk about index investing. And that's really what my book gets to the heart of, how to reduce fees, how to get far better returns by investing in the index, and you know, just spending a few minutes a week actually achieving that. So it is possible by just taking that interest our own personal interest in this because it is our future and being able to live more comfortably in our advanced years is to take that time and just, even if it is that, I'm sure we can carve out 15 minutes, right? And you're saying yeah. we can learn this. We absolutely can learn it. And you know, we can cut through the jargon and all the information that's out there and the misinformation that's out there and, and just get it down to even less, you know, 15 minutes a quarter or an hour a year once you've actually decided on your strategy. You know, I think people have to understand that even though they don't see, them as, they see themselves as an investor, if you are working and you're contributing to an employer-sponsored 401k, you are an investor and you need to take responsibility for being that investor and do the best you can. And I'm talking about over you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, hundreds of thousands of dollars difference by just cutting fees a little bit and by being less diversified a little bit, and that turns into 1% or 2 or 3% compounded and a better return. And that's what turns into hundreds of thousands of dollars better off, being better off in retirement and ha therefore having a more comfortable retirement when we get there. And I think these days we know we need to do something because perhaps we were a bit complacent even a decade or so ago thinking there's Social Security, but we sure know that that's on very wobbly ground, isn't it? There is. There's so much talk about it that you know, it would be prudent not to rely on, want to rely on Social Security by the time you retire. And you know, the, the book, the title of the book is Blueprint to Wealth, Financial Freedom. 15 minutes a week. And the financial freedom bit is a very simple definition I give, and that is a comfortable and independent retirement. And you know, rather than planning to rely on Social Security, rather do some small things now, many years in advance, so that you don't, won't have to rely on Social Security or even family. You'll be independent to be able to spend the money how you want to on yourself, or even you know, if you have philanthropic uh, plans, to spend it on other people as well that might be more needy than what you see yourself as. You have a website, Gary, which I think is a great tool along with using your book because you have what I call an experience we can have, a following a hypothetical person doing their investing. And I think that that can be motivation for us or at least explain to us what we're going to be in store for. That's absolutely right, Kate. So what in the book, I've actually mentored a, a hypothetical person, a fictitious character whose name is Ian, and he asks lots of uh, dumb questions as, as well as some very good questions. 
And I take him through explaining to him why we should be doing this and then how to do it in some detail. And whilst Ian is a hypothetical person, the money that we are investing with on the website and that people can follow is actually real money. So it's a real money portfolio that is following the strategies that have been spoken about and discussed and the, you know, the pointy end, if you like, that you will come to if you read the book and how to do it yourself. So we are actually executing those, that strategy with real money. And we have been doing that for since the beginning of 2016, so it's some 15 months into the process now. And the strategy is doing, as the research shows, it's outperforming the stock market and it's also outperforming the Vanguard balanced fund by, by quite some margin. What seems really clear to me is that what we have an opportunity to do is thus enroll in our own class, which we can do at our own time and really for 15 minutes a week, and certainly we can etch out that time, but we're able to take this course, which we never were able to do or didn't think we could do when we were going to school, whether it was college or advanced classes. I think this is an invaluable opportunity. That's a fantastic way of putting it. I've done quite a few interviews over the last few months, and nobody's ever put it that way, but you're absolutely spot on. That's what I'm trying to achieve here. I'm almost even trying to achieve a movement, if you like, to awaken people to the possibilities that are there. And one of the themes of the book is something you talk about learning and discovering and doing this at your own pace, is one of the themes of the book is the power of compounding. And uh, my wife is a teacher, and so I mix a bit with teachers. And, and there's a question I've been asking teachers for the last two years while I was you know, working on the book and, and getting it out, is, is whether compounding is actually taught at school. And 90% of the teachers say it's on the syllabus, it's, it's there in the curriculum to be taught, but it gets left out. So we have kids coming out of school, and hopefully not out of university and college, but they don't understand the power of compounding. And that is the most simple thing at the heart of what I'm talking about and how people can get ahead when when they're working over the long term is to understand the power of compounding. Working for you, that's in in the the money that you're investing and that the returns are getting, but also understanding the massive power of compounding that can work against you if you're paying fees that are far too high and how that just eats away and erodes your, your retirement nest egg. And I think then it shows how we are truly capable, that we can handle this, that we don't have to just uh, decide someone else is more expert and can do it for us. If if I can achieve that for a small percentage of the population, they can come away from this and realize, I can do do this myself. I I can be self-directed. I can take control. And by doing that, you know, it, it'll be, it can be the biggest investment decision they make in their life, even bigger than, than buying a house, because the, 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 the potential difference we're talking about here is, is many hundreds of thousands of dollars. And for those in their 20s and 30s, even, even over a million to even over $2 million difference. Uh, and that's not in total. That's the difference between what they can have and what they will have. So that in itself should inspire us. So certainly young adults are going to have a huge advantage here. But I don't think we're ever too old to decide, hey, this is my money. I'm not just going to throw it away and, and give it to someone else. Absolutely not. And I try to make the point that you know, people kind of, when they're investing for retirement, they see when they retire as the end of their investing days, and then they're going to start you know, drawing, drawing down on the investment. It's absolutely not the case. 
the, the fastest growing age group now on the planet are the, are the 100 pluses. So when people retire in their late, mid to late 60s or even 70, and I know it's going to get longer as we get older, but um, you know, we've got 30 to 35 years potentially left on the, on the planet. That's, that's, that's a lot of time. And during that time, you still have to be an investor. You can't just put the money in the bank and draw down on it because it won't last. Precisely. So I think what we have the opportunity to do, I think I feel that even in this short time of conversing with you, Gary, I am feeling really energized and feel like there's just such great potential in signing up for this class, the one that we've decided to create for ourselves. Correct. Well, that's what I want to achieve. You know, part of the book is about trying to almost start a movement, if you like, and I'm, I'm, not, uh, on, I'm not on this journey on my own. There, there are quite a few other people out there and some high-profile people that, that have come to the same conclusion as I have. And what I've just tried to do is package it in a way that maybe um, you know, will appeal to people or resonate with people in a different way to what some other people are trying to make the point. So, so hopefully it does resonate with people. I've used a conversation-style mode in the book to try and engage people. And I've had lots of good positive feedback that it keeps people engaged. So it's not this boring... You know, financial stuff, try to make it interesting. And, and I've had that feedback where people have actually they've been engaged right to the end of the book. So hopefully that does get achieved. It feels as though it does accomplish that. Gary Stone, you have done us an immense service. So let's mention that the book and the website uh, are actually of the same name, correct? Correct. It's blueprinttowealth.com. And on that website, people can go straight to Amazon if they want to. There's various types of, of book. There's the, there's the paperback and the hardcover. And there's also color versions, so all the graphs and information in there. And on the website, there's also some resources. For instance, the investment plans that we talk about in the book, people can download those and use them as templates for themselves. And they can indeed follow Ian, the fictitious person whose plan we've invested in with our real money. And people can give us the email address and they can get updates on how that particular portfolio is, is being managed and how it's performing uh, compared to the market over the longer term. It's such an excellent way to take charge of our money and make it work for us. So Gary Stone, thank you for doing such a great work and making us a part of it. It's my pleasure, Kate, and thank you very much for having me on your show. And now we turn to another financial expert, Beth Kobliner. Beth is a personal finance expert specializing in financial literacy, financial education, and teaching kids about money. She has a new book and joins us to discuss some of the key elements from Get a Financial Life, Personal Finance. Beth Kobliner, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. Oh, great to be here, Kate. And what a gift and really such a relief to have someone with us who can give us some really important insights into money, to finances. Boy, that can feel like such a murky kind of web that we can get ourselves into. And when you're writing, get a financial life, personal finance in your 20s and 30s, you're really giving us a chance to have a good jumping off point to get off on a good footing. Mm, yeah, I think that, you know, there's just so many challenges facing young people today when they're getting out of college with a record high student debt. Uh, they also may have some credit card debt or they may worry about getting any credit card debt because they saw what happened to their parents during the Great Recession when they got over indebted for mortgages. So they're sort of grappling with that. And plus, they 
you know, some of them are saving in 401ks, which is great, but many of them don't have 401ks because they're in the gig economy. They don't have sort of full-time jobs that give them pensions and health insurance, so they're going to have to figure a lot of that out themselves. And that's where having some guidance, such as with your expertise in finance, mm-hmm. this book, which is so easy to read and covers. Oh, thank you. Well, you're welcome. This is really, you know, a great solution, I feel. One needs to, of course, take the time, devote yourself to learning this. But you really cover all of these things that you just kind of recap for us, plus more. Right. Well, I've been writing about this for 30 years, um, and I actually wrote uh, the first Get a Financial Life in 1996 when I was in my 20s, late 20s, and it really was important then for the Gen X generation, my generation, to learn about these basic issues that nobody was talking to them about. And today, I think in many ways, um, the millennial generation, those in their 20s and 30s, um, are more savvy in that they are not falling into credit card debt, for example, when they're in college. Um, They're beginning to save more in retirement plans like 401ks. So they are off to a pretty good start in some ways. But the problem is, for example, with the 401ks, a huge percentage of them are now borrowing against their 401k, which is really a problem because they have very long life expectancies. And although I've always said 401ks and IRAs are great long-term ways to save money because of the tax advantages. They are for retirement. They are for long-term. So that's just one example of the ways that the challenges younger people are facing when it comes to their financial lives. But I think there is a lot they can do to, you know, manage their debts, start to save, and then, of course, begin to invest. Well, certainly one of the huge... uh situations that uh, students find themselves in, young people do, is because of that college debt. I mean, Mm -hmm. it is huge. So what is your recommendation there? Well, first off, the, you know, average college debt uh, right now for people who graduate with, for young people who borrow, is $37,000. That's the average. Uh, The median debt load is a little lower, $15,000. But it still is a big chunk of money if you're starting out. Um, and we know from polls that most young people say they worry about their debt pretty much all the time, you know, a lot or all of the time, according to a recent survey. So in, uh, the worry is very natural because they're not sure, are they paying it off right? So one of the big things you can do is make sure you're, you're choosing the right repayment plan Um, There are a whole range of them, some new ones. One is called pay-as-you-earn for federal loans, which allows you to lower your monthly payments and then actually forgives the remaining debt after 20 years. So making sure you research the options, and they're all laid out in the book, um, is the first thing that's very important. And then also if you have private loans, which can be much more expensive, uh, there are new ways to refinance them. Um, There's a website privatestudentloans.guru, for example, that can give you tips or advice on how you possibly can refinance a very high-rate private student loan. Of course, education is so important in our society, in our world. What about thinking of grad school, which is going to, again, incur more debt? Right. Well, grad school is sort of, a few years ago, it was kind of seen as the default. Well, the 
work environment, the job market isn't good, so I'll go to grad school. But unfortunately, people realized they came out, the job market wasn't all that much better, and they had a lot more debt. So I think you have to ask yourself, you have to be more practical about grad school than would, um, you know, than we used to be in that you have to think about what advantage the degree is really giving you. Um, you know, for English majors, philosophy majors, you know, it's wonderful, wonderful areas to study, but the salary outlook and the jobs available are really minuscule. Um, there's a great source, a Georgetown Center on Education and the Workforce, that gives you an idea how much a grad degree in your field is worth. Um, but you have to ask, how much debt are you going to be taking on? And will sometimes employers, if you currently have a job, will an employer chip in for you to go to work? Or can you get a tax break for learning? There's all kinds of credits. The lifetime learning credit, for example, um, is one to, just one to consider. So um, it's not that grad school can't be done, but I definitely think it takes more serious thought than it did 20 or 30 years ago. Yes, don't make it a default. Exactly. Another really fundamental area that you touch on, and of course, it's all over the news, and when it's hitting us directly, mm. uh, we know it's really important, and that is health insurance. Yeah, yeah, that's a toughie. You know, one of the, the things the millennial generation, people in their 20s and 30s, are different from previous generations, is they basically have embraced this idea of a gig economy. You know, many young people aren't working for one company, but they're freelancing and working for a variety of different companies. And, you know, that can be tricky because you want to make sure your income is enough to help you live and it could be bumpy. But the other big thing is you're not getting what we consider traditional benefits like health insurance and pension plans and sometimes other kinds of insurance. Um, and so uh, as a freelancer, you really need to make sure that you have health insurance. Um, you know, health insurance, as we all know, is something that's really a must. And when my generation was in their 20s, it was very, very common for young people to go without health insurance. And the problem with that is, I mean, the good news is most people in their 20s and 30s don't get into horrible accidents or major medical situations, but a number of them do. Um, and you need health insurance because if you don't get it from work, then you could see first off if you could join your parents' plan. Um, you can up to age 26 in some states. Fortunately, not Washington, your state, but in some states you can do it up to age 30. And if you can't get it that way, then you'll have to go to the health exchange and get it through that. And the bottom line is if you don't get health insurance, you won't only bankrupt yourself if you hit a major medical emergency or you have a medical accident, but you will hurt your family and your loved ones because they're going to want to have to chip in and help you. So it's very important to get health insurance in your 20s and 30s. It's tough, but it's got to be done. Yes. Just uh, need to uh, bite down on that proverbial bullet and be exactly. sure, you know, to have that safety net around us. Right. And it keeps us on a good track of just really understanding where our health is and to be maintaining it. That's true. Um, and you can make sure to get it and then make sure to renew it each year. And I think the benefit of all the attention to health insurance is that, well, first off, we know many, many, many more people have it now than they did before the Affordable Health Care Act. And the important thing is doing your best. And particularly for younger people, there is that 
safety net of until you're 27, you can really rely on your parents' plan. You'll have to pay something for it, but it'll probably be less expensive than if you just went out to get it on your own. Precisely. So all of this and lots more important tips in this great, easy-to-read book, Get a Financial Life, Personal Finance in Your 20s and 30s. So let's take one more look at another huge area, and mm. that is home purchasing. Yeah. You know, it's it's another tricky one because um, this generation has a lot of student loan debt. They're delaying uh, many lifetime milestones, such as getting married, they're getting married later, and they're postponing maybe buying a car. And the big one is they're postponing buying a home. And one thing they're doing instead is moving back with their parents. A record number, one-third of young adults now live with their parents. And one of the main reasons is they have these debts they're paying off and they can't come up with the down payment, which is now basically 20%. You know, 10 years ago, there were a lot of zero-down mortgages but those didn't work out so well for most people. So the good news is, you know, you really have to get a prudent 20%, but that's harder to get. But when my book was first published uh, 20 years ago, the average age for a first-time homebuyer was 26. Today, it's 32. So there's been a huge jump in the age at which a young person buys a first home. Um, and so you know, as people look at that calculation and as they get close, there's some really good online rent versus buy calculators. Actually, I looked at a whole bunch of them, and I think the New York Times one is um, interestingly the best, um, just to figure out whether it makes sense to uh, consider buying. Um, but renting is really the way that a lot of young people are, do are going. And it's not a horrible thing because you really don't want to buy a home unless you think you're going to stay there for five to seven years because all of the costs associated with closing costs and selling. And so, so renting is not a terrible idea and definitely more young people are doing it. And an advantage there is you are building a credit history for yourself, which is really key, isn't it? Yes, that's a great point. You know, the credit history is also, I mean, it goes back to technology. You know, years ago, people had credit reports and you know, a bank would certainly look at them before giving you a loan or a mortgage. But today, it's all automated. And any time, almost instantaneously, if you make a late payment on your student loan, that is going to show up on your credit history. Uh, and usually for seven years, it stays there. And it will have an impact on that credit score. Um, and that credit score is really such an important, you know, thermometer or barometer of your financial life. And if it's high, you'll get better deals on credit cards and auto loans and mortgages. But if it's low, if it takes a dip for a variety of reasons, you're going to find it's much more expensive to do the things you want to do. I think probably the most important thing for a young person coming right out of college is to make sure not to be late on payments. You know, I think it's hard because when you're in college, I have two kids in college and you know, every now and then they'll say, oh, I, you know, I got an extension, but I'm handing in my paper late or, oh, you know, and maybe they'll get a half a point off here. But it, when it comes to your credit, you know, unless there's some extenuating circumstance and a mistake was made, that late payment will show up and it'll, it'll hurt you and stay on your report for many years. So you really want to automate, get your bills paid automatically, you know, definitely siphoned out of your paycheck or your checking account to make sure you don't miss payments. 
Yes. Such great words of wisdom. And I think we can really, and we can tell that the book is just filled with them because it touches on all areas of our life. We're saying finances, but really it has instances of where it's touching on everything. And so, right, right, right. My mom came up with the title, Get a Financial Life. So (laughs) it really is about your life because that really is dictated often, not always, but a lot of it is dictated by your finances. So the book, of course, available at all of our favorite book sources. Exactly. And people can find you on your website and on Twitter as well. Exactly. Yeah, I was just in Seattle, and there's some amazing independent bookstores. And also, you know, it's available online in all the obvious places. And uh, my website is bethcobliner.com. It's been so great speaking with you, Beth. Such words of wisdom, and I greatly appreciate the work you're doing, hoping that we're really touching hearts all over the state. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it.